0: Enter Sad Men Podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked.
1: Okay, so welcome to episode eight of the Enter Sad Men Podcast. This is the loudest podcast in the world where we discuss the albums that any self-respecting rock fan should own. I'm Mark. I'm joined, as always, by uh, my uh, chums, Steve and Richard, to talk about three new albums that we're considering for entry admission into the Hall of Fame, which is is actually hyping it up a bit too much because actually the first hundred will always go in automatically, and it all gets a bit interesting after that. You, uh, if you found us already, then you know that we're on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and now Google Podcasts as well. We've got uh, a Facebook page. Just search for us. Enter Sadmen. We can find us on uk, and follow us on Twitter at Entersadmin. So, uh, boys, last week was an interesting week. We did um, AOR, didn't we? We did AOR and it all got a bit big and keyboardy.
2: I was going to say it was a trip down memory lane, but Every episode is a trip down memory lane, isn't it? By virtue of the dates we've chosen, but it was, um, yeah, it was very keyboardy. It was very, it was very lovely, wasn't it? Especially coming a week after we'd thrashed ourselves silly on the um, on some fireworks from America. It was, um, yeah, we did um, High Infidelity, REO Speedwagon, we did Journey's Escape, and my wild card, which was uh, Native Sons by Strange Ways, and um, all marked well, and uh, yeah, it was good fun. Good evening.
3: Yeah, we certainly learned that to uh, to sing in an AOR band, uh, you actually do need to be able to sing. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a link to um, this week's uh, show, which you'll reveal in a, in a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, someone else who can sing. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. It was, it was lovely. It, it, I mean, and, and I think we well, were talking about singing. I mean, it was whilst, whilst we were going through those albums for last week, it was one great big sing-along. Um, and uh, yeah, great fun, great fun. And Journey, I mean, Journey came out on top, didn't they? And smashed into what well, was the top three of uh, yeah. the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, and not really a huge surprise, I suppose. You know, the, the album that has in any list you care to look at on the internet been voted the world's best ever AOR album. It was always going to be up there, wasn't it? Um I think the interesting result from last week was, um, was yours, Steve.
2: Well I mean no surprise to me that uh, Native Sons managed to find its way into uh, into the top 10 because you know for me it's a top 10 album as you say it's all largely irrelevant we've only done 21 albums and um, I dare say it'll be pushed down as the weeks go by but um, yeah no surprise to me but what I found difficult this week is that normally we're very clever at um, you know spending a week doing our research and then parking this and moving on but I've I found it very difficult to get escape off Spotify this week and I know I should have been concentrating on other things that's such as the magnetism of that album
1: Escape is a glorious album they have got a decent they've got a decent singer in in uh, Steve Perry in um, uh, journey but I think kind of given a run for his money this week what are we talking about this week Richard?
3: we're talking about wizards mark in fact one in particular He's quite small, and passed away quite a few years ago now. Um, I, you know, when I went back, I was quite you know, surprised how how long he's he's not actually physically uh, been with us. But uh, yeah, it, it, he'll he'll be up there. Um, I, 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 I can imagine he'll be conducting the choirs in uh, in what well, heaven or hell, uh, because yeah, we are of course. Um, Talking about the um, the little legend uh, that is uh, Ronnie James Dio, and we thought uh, we'd celebrate him and his life uh, by picking out, in our view, three of his finest albums with uh, with different bands, and uh, so we've uh, selected for this week his second outing with Rainbow, uh, Rainbow Rising. With Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, and uh, the first of many outings uh, on his own with with Dio. Uh, um, So we've we've chosen Heaven and Hell with uh, Black Sabbath and uh, and Holy Diver uh, from Dio.
1: So, to give you a little flavour of uh, what we're going to be listening to and talking about uh, this evening, because we do listen to these albums as we talk about them, here's a little montage of the best of the Little Wizard
0: smile on a bright shine
3: So, yeah, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Uh, and uh, it's been, well, just just hearing these three albums uh, through this week um, with with yeah, him at the front, different backing musicians, some different styles, some very similar styles. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to them.
1: And it's a timely time to be talking about him because... Um, as we record this episode of the podcast, um, we've just literally just gone past the tenth anniversary of his passing. So um, it seems like a nice time to kind of um, pay tribute to the little wizard, which is the title of this week's episode. As you will know, because you are listening to it, um, but that's not to say that it's going that we're going to go easy on on him either. You know, this the 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 point of this is that we. Appraise these albums critically, and although they may be near and dear to us, that's not necessarily it's not necessarily the case that um, that they all are flawless. And I, I think you know the same is true this week. So um, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. I suppose um, it'd be worth getting on and talking about it without much more adio.
3: Yeah, I mean, I suppose you know yeah. it's probably you could use ebbs and flows, or you just could use light and dark. Instead,
1: thunder, lightning, and we've got a little treat at the end, haven't we, Richard? You've come up with a little treat for us at the end, but we're not gonna not gonna spoil the surprise.
3: No, gonna... no, we'll wait until we uh, we get on to uh, to Holy Diver. Yeah, we've um, yeah a little uh, we've got a little countdown uh, for, for everybody uh, to enjoy that.
2: Can I just say, if if you're wondering why you're only hearing two voices, and unfortunately I'm looking at these two faces, it's because. I'm the non-partisan voice in this relationship. I'm the, uh, if, if, if Princess Di was involved in a, in, a, in a marriage for three rather than two, these two are Charles and Camilla, and I'm on the outside. I look, I can see them now. They're, they're like a couple of giggling schoolboys, alcoholic giggling schoolboys, admittedly, but, you know, just getting silly over a game of Dungeons and Dragons whenever you mention Ronnie James Dio. So I'm here to bring to bring some sense of normality to the show. You know, share in the fun, admittedly, but uh, and get emotional and nostalgic, of course. But um, yeah, the, the, these two boys, my good friends, are absolute diehards, and, uh, and I and I look forward to. Uh, I don't quite know how dispassionate they'll be come the end of the show, but uh, we'll see.
1: Well, on that ominous note, we ought to talk about the first album, which is Rainbow's nineteen seventy six sophomore album. Rising.
0: Opening album sleeve notes.
3: So here we go with, with Rising. This is uh, Rainbow's second album, uh, recorded in, released in 1976. Ritchie Blackmore decided that um, he didn't own the band anymore for this uh, for this second album. We've had a bit of debate, haven't we, this last week on, you know, should we have chosen this one or should we have chosen Long Live Rock and Roll? Uh, I don't think we would have chosen the first one into, as the example of their, their finest. No, I'm pleased we chose this one. Really pleased we chose this one.
1: This is a completely bit different band to the one that recorded the debut album. Uh, only Dio and Blackmore uh, survived from the original lineup. And um, I think the, the first thing to say about Rainbow generally in this era, but also this album, is that how different the sound is to Deep Purple. And clearly, Blackmore. Had a lot more musical ambition and wanted to explore other things, and you you kind of see in these albums why he decided the time had come to leave Deep Purple, don't you? Because it is a completely different direction to uh, to Purple, and of course Dio himself arrived from via a band called Elf. They also had Jimmy Bain on this album, and of course the incomparable cozy Powell on drums so yeah it was a hell of a lineup wasn't it
3: cuz elf opened for deep purple quite a lot didn't didn't they and then i think it was was it uh, ian pace roger glover produced elf's debut album so there's a really really strong bond there that must have built up between the members of deep purple and uh, and dio through though through the early 70s and i, and I read i think that uh, I mean, Richie Blackmore said, you know, it, 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 uh, we wanted to work with Dio because he's, he's such a great person to work with. I, I, I'm not sure if that was Richie Blackmore code for because he does what I tell him. But, yeah, they, they, obviously the, the bonds were, have been there for many years.
2: Do either of you boys know the reason why a band fronted by Ronnie James Dio might have been called Elf? I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> but it's interesting what he said, Mark, about... Um, this is a big departure from Deep Purple. I was nine years old when Rising came out, so I wouldn't have remembered it at the time. So it's something I've had to come back to later, and I didn't come back to it in the 80s at all. I've actually really only come back to it this week, having not given it any airplay at all. And I actually think that side... its only There's only six tracks. Anyone doesn't know the album, there's six tracks on the album, four on side one and two epics or longer songs on side two. We're listening to the first one now, Tarot Woman. And the first note I made when I was listening to this was side one of this album could have just been a purple tribute act. I honestly thought that. I thought any of these four tracks would slot seamlessly into um, or onto Machine Head or Burn. And I I wasn't in the least, bit. that's not uh, denigrating the work they were doing. It's not insulting in any way, shape or form. In fact, who'd be surprised given, you know, Blackmore's um, thumbprints are all over it, and um, and, I, and I get the sense that what he was trying to do with Rainbow was the stuff that he wasn't quite doing with Purple anyway. Was was that not the premise behind it? So there's bound to be, and we're also in the mid seventies, which is end of the Purple era or his Purple era. So it's going to sound kind of similarish. I don't know. That's what I thought. I mean, two or three tracks. Tarot Woman certainly is one that you know I, I think could sit quite easily on a on on a on a Purple album, but do you agree? Disagree? Yeah, I,
3: I felt that um, certainly when I when I ran with the wolf that 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 could be. I could imagine Gillen singing it, and you know it, it fitting into you know, that that era of of, of Deep Purple. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's it yeah. You know, similarly, Starstruck could uh, it, it, well. I could imagine Ian Gillen singing it, but then I wasn't sure whether that was because yeah, well. I'm sure we will get onto comparisons in in a bit around you know, Gillen versus versus Dio, um, but then um, one one thing sure they can both carry a tune.
1: I know exactly what you're saying, Steve, and actually I I agree with you. But I think the difference for me is that Rainbow is a lot more, it's more blunt force than than Deep Purple. This is less layered. Well, apart from one track, this is less layered. It's it's a much more direct route to market than. Deep Purple were taking, particularly as they went through their career where you've got, you know, all of that kind of interplay between, you know, the the keyboards and the guitars and yeah, and that kind of voice. Because the, as good as Ronnie James Dio is, uh, you know, we shouldn't spend too long, I suppose, talking about Deep Purple, but as good as Dio is, Gillen's vocal interplay is an instrument in its own right in a way that I would say... Dio's isn't. That's not to say he's a worse singer or not as good a singer um, by any stretch, but it's a very different style, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and and the other thing, and and, and the other reason, as you say, you don't don't want to label the, the label the the purple points, but um, this album is of course punctuated by some stunning guitar solos. From you know, we're, we're going to come, we're going to meet three very talented lead guitarists tonight, but. Blackmore's head and shoulders above the other two in my, in in my opinion just because of his judgment of a song his, his ability to understand you know we're listening to a guitar solo now that's just off the wall in terms of his 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 knowledge of what's required it isn't it's not fast not blazing it's none of that he can do that but he's just yeah. a brilliant assessor of mood in a song purple had that so therefore rainbow will have
1: that absolutely right and that and that guitar solo is actually almost a blues slide guitar solo isn't it which is so kind of left field in so many ways which are you going to say something
3: yeah i I think that your point about the blunt instrument as great as these musicians are cozy pal versus ian pace no contest it's ian jimmy Bain versus roger glover no contest it's roger tony carey versus john lord (laughs) no contest it's John Law, so I think it, it, it's it's. Mean, I'm, I'm taking nothing away from these mus- these guys, fantastic musicians. But but we're um. I mean, this is why we you, know, you go back to um yeah you know, a few episodes ago when we were talking about Machine Head. I mean we're 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 trying to do a comparison with one of the most amazing collections of musicians in history.
1: Very true. Uh, interesting. I was watching uh, an interview with Richie Blackmore. And he was talking about rising and he made a really interesting point. He said that it, it, if he could, he would come and re record this album with the original members, which is impossible now, um, because at least two of them have, have gone. Um, but there's no bass. He said there's no the, the bass is completely missing from this album. And actually, when you go back and listen to it in that context, he, he's right, the bass is there's no bass in this album. I mean, there is obviously, but you can't hear it. It's, it's so far in the background. Yeah, and he said that's one of one of the big regrets he's he's got about the album is that he didn't bring the bass further up the mix. So let's talk about the songs, Steve. You, know, you full disclosure, this would be in my top five
2: albums. You, you've made that point before, and 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 I did wonder. You know, I didn't. I, I never doubt you. So coming to it yeah, almost fresh, it was interesting to see how it would stack up. And it is an album you've got to listen to a couple of times because it's it's of, it's of the 70s era. There's a lot going on, and that's what I like about it. And I love um, – so, you know, when you start with Tarot Woman, which is – I mean, it's very brave to go with – I counted it a 70-second keyboard intro to start with from a keyboard player who no one really knows anything about. I mean, that was um, – you know that that's that's a brave call. You'd expected that from you know many of those bands at the time, sort of Genesis or someone, but but not what is ostensibly a, a hard rock band. And and uh, again, it it, it's, it was a it's a grand number, it's a grand start and a grand number. And I just think it, it accelerates from there. That the, the album gets. We're now listening to Starstruck, which is the third track, and I adore this. Um, I, what I like about this is you know you, you know about the power of Dio's voice, but There's a lot less strain in this. He's he's obviously dynamite when he hits the big notes, but he he virtually chats his way through the first couple of verses of Starstruck, which is a really catchy, upbeat number. And then side one finishes um, with Do You Close Your Eyes, which is a really big finisher. Um, And then we move on to side two, which is we can talk about in a minute, but let's just say it's a very different beast, and you might find my views on it very different to yours, I'm guessing.
1: Well, let me just qualify what what I said at the beginning of that, which is this falls into the category, the same category for me as "Strangers in the Night," that it takes me to a place. Yeah. So musically, I yeah, I, I I'm not saying for a moment that musically this album is you know one of the top five albums in the world. Um, I think it's got all sorts of flaws on it, actually. Starstruck was the the track that kind of hooked me. But, you know, I was listening to this on rotation, literally one after the other and just revolving round. Strangers in the Night, Rising, and White Snakes live in the heart of the city back in the day, back in, would it be 81, 82? So, yeah, it hadn't been out long, but they'd already moved on because at the time that I was kind of getting into this, they were already, you know, they'd already kind of got rid of Dio and the Brawling Graham bonnet and um and they gone for a much more commercial kind of approach but it is an album of of two halves very much so um and I think side 2 is interesting and I have a particular view about one half of that album uh, that side and a, a completely different view of the other um yeah so I would have been I would have been 11 I was I was 16 when I bought it I just, I it was, you know, I, I by that time I'd already got heavily into Zeppelin four, but I was it was kind of ACDC were the were the poster boys for me at that point, and you know we were just coming in, and you know the new wave of British heavy metal was kind of exploding around um, around in my around my head, um, and but this was something that was just kind of slightly out of time with all of that. And I just loved it from the moment I first heard it. I loved it. But in part because of what I was up to socially, academically, you know, where I was in my life at that time. So, And I'm absolutely conscious of the fact that that there is an awful lot of nostalgia tied up in this album for me, which makes me slightly biased, which has made it very difficult for me to score.
2: Well, no, it shouldn't do, should it? Because your emotions should be involved in your scoring anyway, shouldn't they? Sure,
1: Yes, but they shouldn't overinflate it as an album. It should be a, you know, that the job here, if we have one, because this isn't a chore. But the job here is to is to appraise it critically as much as yeah, celebrate man.
3: it. Of course, if, if any of our listeners actually um, look at what uh, uh, Mark and Steve uh, score, we're, we're we're talk about we're like, what they've both talked about is complete bollocks. We're kind of scoring these albums on how we feel. Uh, let's be honest. Yeah, I I, I, mean, I, I was into, um, I got into Rainbow, um, Grey Bonnet. Um, it was Down to Earth that got me into Rainbow all night long, and, and since you've been gone, uh, and uh, then I well, so that that got me into Rainbow. post. Then I then I listened to um, Long Live Rock and Roll, and it was only probably when I, well, probably towards university, sort of, I guess mid mid eighties, did I. That I really discover rising. I always knew it was. It was when anyone I talked to, um, certainly the, you know, any, the older boys who were a bit a bit older in in terms of their their, their taste, that they were they were always raving about about rising. But it, yeah, it, it it took me until university before I really really got into it. And here we are arriving on side two.
1: Uh, and I think it's fair to say we've probably all been waiting for this moment one way or another cuz here we are with stargazer which for me is i think the greatest rock
2: song ever recorded and that's not where I, I that's not where i thought this conversation was going <laughs> cuz i'm just going i'm going to flip side 2 on its head cuz with Stargazer, I'm I'm really, really struggling. Everyone says it's it's the album showpiece. I don't really care what everyone else says, actually, because that's, that's contagion, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It's what I think. And if I'm honest, and, and I'm glad we're a long way away, I just don't think it goes anywhere, which in itself isn't an issue. But if it's not really going anywhere, it doesn't need to be eight and a half minutes long, does it, really? <laughs> Lengthen it live, by all means, but...
1: Yes, it does.
2: <laughs> Here we go. Here comes the hero worship. I knew that had happened.
1: No, because because he's just going to think I'm just he's just going to think I'm I'm some sort of you know wafty little fanboy. So come on.
3: So I, I um, you remember we 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 talked um, uh, about about um, Leonard Skinner and Freebird, didn't we? And uh, yeah, I and mean, that's a bit a lo- bit longer than this, isn't it? Uh, in in full form. And I did say a lot. I preferred the six-minute version. I've always thought this is fine at this length. I, I think. Well, why do I think that? And what 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 do I like about this song? Apart from uh, Ronnie's um, lovely words, which again we'll come back to uh, later in this episode, it's the story it tells uh, for me. And I think actually this has got some brilliant musical imagery obviously you got to stick your tongue firmly in your cheek because uh, this is obviously a story about a wizard uh, building a tower high enough that he can uh, reach the sky and fly and blah blah blah, blah. so let's just just, just um, there is lyrics that's what he sings about say more about that later let's move that to one side consider the story and the fact that it given it's a wizard given it's a very, very tall tower. Given lots of slaves, stone, all of that, it's a long story. And I, I actually really like—I love the rise and the fall of this song. That's what I m- like most about uh, about Stargazer. It—it's—it—it's—it's uh, just, it, just just lovely up and down uh, uh, throughout. Again, we're listening to one of uh, Blackmore's solos in it right now, and again, even this solo. Is just falling and rising and the notes. And, and I think it's almost, it, I don't know, it, it, the the flight, flying and, and the, the sky and, and it, the whole thing is, and, and rising. I don't know if that, I mean, that's obviously where the presumably, I mean, Rainbow Rising, I mean, that presume is where the title of the, the, the album came from. Apart from um, The Little Wizard and all of that stuff, in terms of this as a song, as an epic, I don't think it's the best song ever written but i do think it's a great one
1: so i think the g ge- the, the genius of this song is and put aside you know this isn't about sort of hero worship or uh, i think it's the, the the ability that ronnie james Dio has to tell a story in so few sentences and to paint this kind of epic landscape um just as a piece of storytelling put the music aside for one moment which is which is I think stunning in all sorts of ways. You're abs- I think you're absolutely right. I think you can you can live and breathe this story listening to it. You you you, you you're there with the slaves. They watch him rise and fall, and it's just the imagery that he 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 uses, but also it's how he leverages the meter of the song to to kind of convey all of that emotion in this sonic landscape i think it's an i think it's an yeah. an amazing piece of music
3: well, we've just listened to the end of that that solo where, where and 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 Blackmore's solo so it says so up and down up and down, and then the it just rises and rises and rises until he plays the highest note he possibly can on the guitar and i don't, i'm just imagining this so then the towers ready uh, before he goes into the final verse where the poor wizard appears not to fly
1: and the other piece of genius, I think, of, of this song is that it's, what, eight and a half minutes. They have at their disposal the full Munich Philharmonic Orchestra and they use it for 40 seconds at the end of the song. And it just brings such power. And if, if, you, you, know, if you want a, um, evidence of just what a visionary musically blackmore was or is then it's in this song i think every piece of creative vision is there in every single note it's such a well thought through well constructed song and and this this final piece as it kind of builds and builds and builds it it actually uh, steve will laugh but it it actually moves me And and it always has from the first time i heard it
2: no, I'll never laugh. I mean I'm at the 6:40 mark now and I've had enough. I mean I'm 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 done with it, you know. It's um for for, for absolutely contrary reasons to you guys. Uh, I mean I've not read the lyrics, but I can imagine what they're about because I know enough about Ronnie James Dio to have figured that much. I don't care about the story. I don't go to an opera to listen to the to listen to the words. That's by the by. It's a piece of work naturally embroidered improved by the extraordinary richie blackmore it just it just i just it just drags for me that's all I, I don't i'm not at the same place you boys are at with this song
1: that's fair enough because that's the nature of music isn't it 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 touches you in different ways and that's an entirely that's an entirely legitimate point of view of it i, I don't have an issue with that at all
2: had i had i had i listened to this with some degree of seriousness when i was a kid And my mates listened to it and enjoyed it as well the the contagion that i so grossly dismissed earlier would have would have infected me and i'm sure i would have been there fist pumping singing along to whatever ludicrous song words he's spouting and thinking yeah this is one of the great songs ever because it fits that kind of epic bracket that you know the the early 70s were full of and and mid-70s but that was then and this is now and um you know, it is what it is. And funnily enough, we're now moving on to the final track, which I absolutely adore.
1: So for me, a light in the black is is a test run for Kill the King on Long Live Rock and Roll. It's it it's uh it's almost like they get to Long Live Rock and Roll and Richie goes, Do you know what I think we can do better? But there you go. In a nutshell, we both love one song on the on the second side of this
2: album. What, what i like about this there's an interplay again it's an eight minute track you know who, who, who'd get well no one has sides to albums anymore anyway but i mean two tracks on the side of an album is just fantastic i mean that's that's priceless in itself but th- th- what i love about this track is there's there's a really kind of lengthy carry keyboard solo and and you made the point earlier i mean direct and he's not the world's greatest but um you know he's he's, he's very good but and then you've got a brilliantly judged, yet another brilliantly judged Blackmore solo, but they're both playing it out set against that same kind of almost brain melting backbeat that just does not relent. And I absolutely adore that. I know you like the the the, the variety and the sort of light and dark and tone of, of Stargazer. I just like the the sort of intensity and the ferocity of this track that just never seems to stop.
1: I don't have enough I don't have any issue with the the ferocity and the intensity I, I love kill the king but this is just a, this is well I, mean, I suppose kill the king came after this so maybe kill the king is the the impersonator for me this is this is a poor man's kill the king and I love kill the king I think it's one of the great great rainbow tracks Richard's kind of listening to this exchange with a wry smile on his face
3: yeah I like them both yeah. I like both <laughs> Yeah, for all of the reasons you've you've been discussing, it's what makes you know this this second side. Th- th- these these are two such different songs. I think this one could be shorter. I think this could be six. I think Stargazer could be twelve. <laughs> and I think and I and I'm I'm going to challenge you, Steve. I don't think you've listened to it enough. You just need to uh, let it envelop you. So uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll come to the, back to this in the next time. Maybe next time we uh, we talk about Rainbow on a future episode.
2: I think you're probably right, and I think um, I think there's quite a lot of this album that, that that takes it's it's a it's a bit more complex than you think. This album, you know, you just think it's Rainbow, it's British heavy metal, late seventies. It's going to be bog standard and easy to understand. No, it, it's better than that, isn't it? Musically, it's much better than that.
1: Yes, uh, and. My issue with with this particular track is, on every occasion that I've played it in the last week, my 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 kind of first reaction at the end of it is to go it's go right. I am going to go and play Kill the King now because because I need to I need to hear it done properly. <laughs> now I don't I don't dislike this at all. I really you know, and as you'll find in the scores, you know I haven't you know it it's got a decent score. I agree. I think it could be shorter. It could be I think this could have been four or five minutes. You know, never mind six. And I don't think it would have lost anything for that. But still a fantastic piece of music. Don't get me wrong.
2: I'm just listing, we've reached the point, this neck breaking part of um, Blackmore's guitar solo. So you can't end it at four and a half minutes, then it's got to get that in at the very minimum.
3: I mean, it's fascinating that we, we've talked before about, um, on albums about filler, haven't we? <laughs> and, uh, you know, albums that could have afforded to be. Uh, yeah, thirty-five minutes when they were forty, or uh, or forty minutes when they were forty-five. We'll come to the uh, yeah the, the highs and the lows in a minute. But you know, I mean, was yeah, Terry one was six minutes long. What wrong with the wall, Three minutes forty. Starstruck four minutes. <laughs> Do you close your eyes? Bang on three minutes. Was that a ha- was that a happy accident? Don't know. And he got stargazer and light in the black eight minutes. So you know, so, side side two was longer than side one. With two tracks. Yeah, I, I don't think it could have been any shorter because, I mean, it, it, as it was, they'd, they'd managed to stretch the album to 35 minutes.
1: What I want to know is what what did they decide not to... That must have been a conscious decision to keep it to those six. because they must have had other material. They could have padded it out. And maybe that's the point. Maybe this is an album that just has no padding, deliberately. Maybe, maybe they've gone, do you know what? We're going to stop there because that's the best. That's the absolute best that that we've got, and anything else would, would not be to the same standard. I don't know. Be interesting to know what what it Rainbow would have done and been like had he kept this lineup together.
3: Would you say? Would you agree? I think Long Live Rock and Roll. Well, I don't wouldn't say it's more commercial than this, but but a, a bit a bit more standard. Maybe
1: "Long Live Rock and Roll" is a kind of sing along anthem. Isn't yeah, it? "Kill the King" is the is the kind of the rich man's light in the black. But it's also got some interesting stuff on there.
3: But then, obviously, I mean, then "Down to Earth" was just—I mean, that was that was yeah, absolutely commercial, wasn't it?
1: Well, they had that—that that had to have been a, a decision where they went, "Do you know what? We just need to get in the charts now." Yeah. So come on, then. Highlights and lowlights.
3: Let me give my first, and then we'll 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 listen to your extremes. Do you close your eyes for me? Is is the the not so high point? I mean, I did write on my notes here three minutes of filler. It's not much filler, is it? Uh, it didn't. I mean, it, it it was it's it's good. I like it, but um, uh, not not as as much as the rest. I I do love Run with the Wolf. I thought it, when I looked at the 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 times, I thought that was longer than it was. I mean, it's three minutes forty. It's an absolute corker in terms of how much they've, they've squeezed into that. But yeah, I mean, for all of our, disc- I would mean, like light, light in the black. I say, I love, I love that. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, that's going to get a good score from me. But, but um, it, it is picked by, by Stargazer, which I, I think is is unique. I think it, it, it that's one another thing about it. It, it really is a, a unique, unique track.
2: I like it all. Uh, don't get me wrong, but if the, the the one I like um, is Run with the Wolf, funnily enough. But this just it just doesn't interest me enormously, even the harmonies aren't that great on it and um, and n- not even the great Blackmore managed to save that one, but in my eyes, but the one I loved and, and perhaps it's no surprise when you're come to this album fresh and it pretty much echoes what you said, mark, what wouldn't catch you, what wouldn't hook you other than Starstruck.
1: When I played this album for the first, God knows how many times. Believe it or not, I didn't actually get beyond side one for the first few weeks because I just loved that side. I think um, you know, it's going to be you no. Know, I've, I've I've already kind of set my story out, haven't I? I? I you know I do think it is the greatest rock epic song ever written. I think it trumps. I think it trumps Stairway. I think it trumps them all personally. But um, so inevitably, that that's my high point. Low point, um, for all the reasons I've already said, is is the other half of that side of the album, um, A light in the black. I just think it's I, I, I like it. The other stuff, the other songs on this album have all scored higher than that one. So that it, it, we're back to the not so high point. Let's put it that way. So there we are.
2: Interesting. So we've been uh, welcome to the world of Ronnie James Dio in his form as the front man of, of Rainbow. And we have two more blasts um, from the little fella still to come. Next up, he leaves Rainbow and he joins Black
0: Sabbath. We'll be looking at Heaven and Hell. Opening album Sleeve Notes.
2: So, to part two of our D.O. special, and we have moved on from Rainbow to Black Sabbath and um, Heaven and Hell, their Sabbath's 1980 album. And we are now listening to the opening track, which... I could just listen to all night and talk about it all night, but we will move on. That's Neon Nights, and we'll talk about this and many, many more. My first thought about when looking at Heaven and Hell was that the backdrop to this album was absolute bloody chaos. What the hell made him join this mob? I mean, it just looked like utter carnage. So Mark made the point last week that when we do this, you, you've got to give Never Say Die, the previous album, with Ozzy Osbourne and the mic, a listen. Um, just to get some kind of sense of where they were. And and actually I I was expecting a car crash and it wasn't, it was, it was, you know, it was fine. It didn't go down critically that well, but you know, it's, it it was a reasonable effort, but the crack, when you read about the cracks that were, that were in the band at the time that um, were in the studio with people not turning up. And when they were turning up, they were stoned or drunk or hardly aware They were even there themselves. They took, never say die on tour with van halen and got pissed on pretty much every night and not just in america That was over here as well got back into the studio to do heaven and hell Ozzy apparently wasn't there even though he hadn't been there much during never say die apparently either there was the drink the drugs the, the, the impression you get from Ozzy is that he was just almost angling for the sack and then when he got it he blamed everyone for it apart from himself Although, how any of them have got any sense of moral high ground in this situation is beyond me. It just looked like an absolute train wreck. Acrimony e, massive, Aussie furious, off they went. Iami said, let's get Ronnie James Dio in. He somehow said yes. Um, and the next thing you know, they've got this absolute barnstorm of an album. But um, you, you wouldn't have thought the creative juices were in the right place to come up with this. But I love it.
1: This is also would be in my top five albums any time you ask me from the point that um, that I first heard it, uh, which Black Sabbath fans will be just holding their heads in their hands because if you're a purist, this is not Black Sabbath. I first heard this album in a crofter's cottage on the island of North Uist uh, on the school's Hebridean Society trip in July, August of 1980. And my favourite part of this journey with the Dio era Black Sabbath is that I asked for it for Christmas because it was a. I was played it by a couple of lads from Leeds who arrived on the train from Glasgow to Oban with a, a, a ghetto blaster and a number of tapes, including. Tokyo tapes by the Scorpions but they also had and we're obviously saving it for later this album which they played over some shit soup concoction that we boiled up on the wilds of of this island so I asked for it for Christmas and it was bought for me by my grandparents And I just love the fact they had to go into the record shop and ask for as 75 80 year olds that they wanted to buy Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. I just wanted to see the guy behind the counter go, really? This is not perfect, this album, but 80% of it is absolutely top draw.
3: I'd like to start with the cover, which I think is... I'd love to know whether they had anything to do with it or they just um, described the title or the concept to an artist. The, um, the 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 image of some angels hanging out smoking a fag for heaven and hell is just absolutely brilliant. I guess we'll come back in a minute to did uh, the, the similarities between these these three albums, but it would appear that uh, Ronnie James Dio did have an effect on it because they're the big big similarities. I think. Um, it's, uh, it's not. I mean, there are all these comments, aren't there? That, that um, they shouldn't have called themselves Black Sabbath. They should have called themselves Heaven and Hell, which eventually they did when they when they reformed. I, I, I wasn't into this album um, when it when it came out. Really, um, it kind of passed me by. I don't know why. Um, but I I, um, I I really got into it um, about '84 when I was at, at uni. I mean, I'd, I'd heard Neon Nights, but then when I put the album on properly. And heard the rest of it and heard children of the see it's playing in our ears at the moment. And uh, heard, and then heard the title track. I'd I'd wonder, What how the hell have I missed this? I don't know. I don't know. How do you describe it? It's I mean it's like it's like Black Sabbath for the gentry.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the thinking man's Black Sabbath,
3: <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
2: But whatever, whatever anyone says, it is still very much Black Sabbath, isn't it? Yeah, Dio put his stamp on it, I get that, but the, the component parts, it's still very much Sabbath and it's still IME, it's still his plaything to a degree, to, to any great degree, yeah, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, he, yeah, he's still absolutely there. And Warden Butler, that, that same back still there.
1: The, the only difference, I think, is, apart from the vocalist, obviously, is that if you listen to all of the kind of early earlier Sabbath, um, I think the the one difference that you can hear in this album is that Iommi's guitar, which is detuned in a lot of the early stuff, is is absolutely singing, and there's there's a lot more melody actually than than um, is probably evident on a lot of the stuff that preceded it. So you listen to Paranoid as we did a few weeks ago, and you listen to Never Say Die, it you know, the, the album that preceded this. And and it's almost like listening to it's almost like listening to what Alice and Chains and Soundgarden would become later on, you know, if you listen to Iommi's guitar in those. So I think that's the big difference, is that it is far more there are far more harmonies and and um and melodies in this than it there had been before, which I think is the is essentially, what the Black Sabbath kind of diehard community took exception to, but there's absolutely no doubt that Ronnie James Dio, um, may not have been wholly responsible, but he was definitely for me, he was the catalyst that had this band pulling itself up by its bootstraps, you know, to have their second most commercially successful album. Of their career at that point, you know, and as you say, Steve, to to when you consider what had happened with Never Say Die and with this, I mean, Children of the Sea, um, which we just listened to the end of it, was a song that Iommi and Osborne had been writing together, and Ronnie James deere came in and kind of finished off. And it's nothing like the original. Apparently, I haven't heard it, but you know, it's um, if you if you listen to or read interviews with Bill Ward, he absolutely hates it. You know, hates it. Dio did. He hated the musical direction of Black Sabbath.
2: Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Cause, cause I, because I am, because obviously you can read an awful lot of interviews saying contrary things, can't you? But the, the impression I got from Iommi is that, well, obviously he was the one who, who presumably recruited Dio, being the brains behind the band. And, and it was enormously complimentary of Dio's singing style and equally dismissive of Ozzy's style, which is a bit unfair given how long they have been together, but saying effectively one man not one man could sing and the other one couldn't because they could both sing in their own ways. I'm, I've never been a fan of Ozzy's voice, but uh, Ime was basically saying that Dio had more versatility with his ability to do what Ime wanted him to do. So it was clearly going to be a, a much better relationship, therefore. And also Sabbath fans need to be very careful what they wish for, because judging by what the state of the band, as we've talked about before, and Ime makes the point, they wouldn't have seen another another summer if they hadn't recruited Dio. Cause that band was 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 done,
1: and I think what iomi said, I think he was very careful not to say that Ozzy wasn't capable of singing. I think if I'm right in saying, right in remembering, I think what he said was Dio had this ability to sing across the riff.
2: That's correct.
1: Whereas Ozzy sang with the riff, and um and that's I think that's where they kind of found that growth.
2: And Ozzy took it really personally, didn't he? And the other, the other fun, the other interesting note, of course, was that, um, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it Ozzy's future wife, Sharon, who got Ronnie into the band in the first place at his expense, effectively?
3: Yeah, she'd introduced him to uh, to Iommi, hadn't she? I think uh, a little bit before.
1: I mean, we're listening to uh, Lady Evil, which is which is specifically the song that Bill Ward took took issue with. He said that that that's not this is not Black Sabbath. And it is a bit popular, isn't it? It's not. You know, you can't argue. it's <laughs> There's not much doom in this one.
2: The other thing, the other thing we need to talk about, and which is rarely mentioned, because I remember when we were doing those comparisons of um when we were t- 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 talking about the super band that we would create. Remember when we did the Godfathers of Rock? And we were talking about the super band and the bass player. So we had Dirt Purple Machine, Ed and Sabbath, and the bass player. We all said John Paul Jones. So well, Geezer Butler on this album, you know, welcome to the show. You realise actually what a really, really good bass player that man was. I mean, he, he brings some of these tracks alive.
1: Well, given that he did them all in about one take, because originally, if if you believe, I mean, I don't know, who knows what to believe with, with the story of Black Sabbath at this era, but um, it was um, Craig Gruber, wasn't it, who was supposedly recorded all the bass parts for the album and as because Geezer had kind of, been gone off to deal with some kind of personal issues, but came back and re-recorded them in in a very short space of time. So yeah, absolutely yeah, amazing.
2: Um, I think he was the only one who was they, clean at the time, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, well, Bill Ward was so kind of gone that I think um, Tony Iommi set him on fire, and he has no recollection of the recording sessions for this album at all. I mean, that's that's about as rock and roll as you get. You get stuck on fire and you don't remember. It. Yeah. What we got an album out? What? Hey? Yeah. When did that happen?
2: Oh dear. And so we come to the title track, one of the great title tracks.
1: Now it's it's um now it's no stargazer, Steve. No. no. <laughs> um, I love this song. It's just it's all about the bass line. All about the baseline.
3: It is just relentless. I mean <laughs> I mean fair fair play to him. I, I'd get bored. And let's assume, you know, when it was recorded and everything else, um there's there's no um sampling here. This is this is one take and a guy playing these few notes again and again for the entire song. So yeah. Fair play to him. Absolutely fair play to him.
1: But it's it, it's the um it's the construction. I mean, the, the, I think this is, you know, when you talk about why does the world fall at the feet of Ronnie James Dio, I don't think it's a coincidence that every band he's been involved with has come up with songs that have been very meticulously constructed. Um, and you talk about you know, and you're right, Steve. You know, we talk about three very talented lead guitarists tonight but i think it it, that's where he shines that's his sweet spot is working with a guitarist who understands um how to layer the contributions of each member it's the it's the construction of this song that i think is so impressive
2: yeah how much of a role do you think dio had in the songwriting of well, the whole album rather than just because the credits are always shared, aren't they? They say that Dio wrote the lyrics like there was any doubt, but um, <laughs> um, the, the, but the songwriting itself because it is different, isn't it, to everything that had gone before?
1: Well, I think they've um, I mean, who knows is the answer, isn't it? I, I, I suspect they came to an arrangement where Dio was credited with the lyrics, and I think it was Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi, wasn't it, were credited with the the music um i don't think you i don't think you can work well actually i'll say that acdc worked exactly like that with back in black malcolm and angus came up with the music gave it to brian he went away and wrote the lyrics for it so maybe they did do it that way but that that is not the way that dio's worked in the had worked in the past it's certainly not the way he works moving forward so i can't think it's the way he works with this but the credits tell a different story uh, I don't know whether you guys listened to the interview that follows on Spotify, Spotify version of Holy Diver. There's a 10 part interview with Ronnie at the end of it. I don't know if you got around to listening to it, but he, he is very careful to give credit to everybody that he's worked with. But you can hear running through it that there's only one person that he really thinks is responsible for the success of these three albums with the exception probably of of rising. Actually, I think, I think it it is hard, impossible even to disregard the, the contribution of Richie Blackmore on that. But yeah, I mean, this is, if you, those um, people listening, if they go to the website, you'll, we're listening to um, my favorite, um, my favorite lyrics of all time at the moment. Um, or favourite part, lyric part, um, in Heaven and Hell. Yeah, I just, I just think this is a, a, a brilliantly constructed, performed, written uh, song, uh, and a fantastic way to
3: close side one. I, I think it's incredibly sophisticated. Um, there are bits in the middle of it that remind me almost of was Pink Floyd. I mean, it's obviously, obviously, we're we're building up to the uh, time to have a bit of a headbang. Ending of it. That's that's enough of the plodding. Let's uh, l- let's get your air guitar out, but, um, but 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 yeah, it's. um I mean, it must have had a hand in the arrangement because I think again, this is this thing is it's not it's um not just about the the writing of the song and the melodies and the music and the lyrics and da da da. It's then it's then how how the thing is put together and then obviously produced and I think. I wonder if that's the the backbone between these these three albums. The hand he did have in in, in arranging the songs.
1: Yeah, and you know when you you look back at the, at, um, at Giza Butler and you think, well, that that must have been quite difficult to take. Actually. The Ronnie James Dea comes in. He's writing lyrics about heaven and hell and witches and children of children of the sea and lady evils and what have you and and all of that songwriting lyric writing responsibility that he'd carried through the band until that point is suddenly not required anymore if that were me i think i'd be slightly miffed um i, I wasn't more heavily involved in the creative direction of the band but you know um and i think yeah i think you're right you know dio was a difficult i think a, a difficult man to work with partly because he was a perfectionist um like all lead singers i think he you know you have to have an ego you have to you have to want to be out there don't you and um yeah i mean they 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 say don't they that that the uh the final straw came with the mixing of the live evil record where the sound engineer and dio always denied this um but the sound engineer said that you know he'd spend all day mixing down the album and then dio would kind of in the dead of night come back and Mixes vocals back up and and you know there was a, it all got really kind of flaky by the time they reached the end of the road as a um, as this kind of version of the band but um, but this is I think I think what you said at the beginning Steve is is the most astonishing thing about this of all is that given where they were yeah. six months before they went into the studio to record this. Mm-hmm you
2: wouldn't have put money on this. No. And let's face it, Dio could have done any number of late night trips to the studio to remix, engineer, or do, do whatever he wanted with this album because, you know, iime and Ward were not even on the same planet, were they? So no. he could have got no, but what But joking aside, he did, um, I don't think Tony Iamy's guitar sound sounded any better than it did on this album. His guitar work on this really well, really nicely controlled. And I'm sure, you know, Dio would have had an input into that.
1: Yeah, I think that's what goes back to what you were saying, Richard. That it's about the arrangement, isn't it, of the of the song and probably just that. Yeah, Dio was a master politician as well. Yeah, you know, he was. He knew how to he knew how to run a band without running a band. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, you know, he would have been whispering in an ear somewhere saying, "Can you maybe get Tony to do it this way, or maybe get Tony to do it that way?" Um, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on, and thank God. Because, you know, this is just and you know, not perfect, but not far off perfect album. Um,
2: and also, I would imagine, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 never, I mean, Sabbath obviously went on to do other things, but would they have not taken, you know, whatever Sabbath diehards would say about this, would they have not taken the likes of Neon Knights and Heaven and Hell into their live arena, even post-Dio?
1: Uh, well, I never saw them. So in this, uh, I, I, in fact, I have never seen Black Sabbath, much to my um regret um but yeah i think they they you can't i mean <laughs> that's the point isn't it you put this album on and they set out their stall immediately with neon knights and and you, you you almost you're on a runaway train at that point and you there's no way you'd want to get off even if you could and, and you can i can't imagine that they wouldn't have taken that in. I mean, it'd be interesting to go back and have a look at their you know, set list FM, see what their set lists were sort of in 1987, 88, when they were with a revolving door of mm-hmm. voters. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're now moving on to Die Young. What do we think of this?
3: I think, I mean, for me, the first side of this album is is the stronger side. So i I. I, I I don't think any of the songs on the second side are are bad but I just don't think they've got the the range and the and the dimensions um i mean it's it, it's a perfectly good song but I feel it's uh a bit one dimensional compared to um to those on the first side personally
1: so for the for you then does this this side kind of wither on the vine or does it grow on the vine as it goes on
2: i well to be fair the um I actually really like the last two tracks, big time. Walk, walk away, again, it's, it's Butler's bass playing on that that just just makes me. I tell you what I think about Walk Away, is that now you have to answer me this because Ronnie James Dio, how many big singles did he did he have? Because I get the impression that any band he was with, all the commercial success came when he wasn't with them. Because I look at something like Walk Away and think if if Paul Stanley sings that. Stephen Tyler sings that. That's a top ten hit. It's just got that feel to it straight away. Stick it side one, track two, and suddenly that's all over the radio. Um, and then you look at Rainbow. All the all the big hits with Rainbow were correct me if I'm wrong. Were Graham Bonnet? Surely for this great voice, he, he wasn't. He was never going to be a big commercial hit, was he? Which is a shame because the tracks on here that with someone else at the mic could have could have sounded very different, not better. But you know, commercially far more accessible, and Walk Away is a classic song. Walk Away just is a really feel-good song.
1: Bill Ward's favorite track on the album is, is "Lonely as is the Word." He liked it when they kind of did different stuff, and "Lonely as the Word" is a very different song to the rest of the album. So he felt that was kind of more in keeping with where the band ought to be.
2: Yeah, again, it's a great. It's it, it's it's also another great track. I, I can even forgive them the. Um, the Stairway to Heaven steel for the outro. I think it's a really strong finish of the album, those two tracks. It's probably worth talking about, um, I mean, a, a link to between
3: this album and Rising and uh, a link back to, uh, I think we've, we've discussed him before, and that's obviously that uh, Martin Birch produced both Heaven and Hell and Rising, I think, didn't he? Um so, you know, again, I think you know, if you got that arrival of someone like Martin Birch with RJD, um, that's gonna that's gonna create quite a difference, isn't it, for how you how you put an album together?
1: Yeah, and I I suspect that the Little Wizard had a, a big say or big influence in who was going to sit on the other side of the glass um, because he knew it worked. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at. Him. It is. Oh, a phenomenal look at Martin Birch's credits. You know, he's he starts off with um, Fleetwood Mac. Um, admittedly, their early stuff. Um, then he, he he's done pretty much everything that Deep Purple did when they were good. Um, he goes on and produces a lot of John Lord. You know, he's done Wish, Wishbone Ash. He goes on to Rainbow, White Snake. You know. Love Hunter, Ready and Willing, Live in the Heart of the City, Come and Get It, Saints and, Saints and Sinners, Slide It In. You know, the biggest until they get to 1987, the biggest albums they do. Black Sabbath, he does both the Dio era, Blue Oyster Cult, Cult of Taurus Directus, which is one of my favorite albums. Then Maiden, he's done literally everything from when they were good. I mean, the man's a legend. Uh, and, and it's hardly a surprise, is it, that Ronnie James Deo arrives in the carnage that is Black Sabbath circa 1979. And and he, he's probably looking at that going, well, we're not having these people produce the damn album um, unless, if we can avoid it. Um, so I, I suspect he's had quite a lot to do with that. Yeah. It,
3: you know, it, it had a, it, it, I presume he didn't get much sleep in... 1980 did did market because in 1980 he did this he did cultosaurus erectus ready and willing and live in the heart of the city I mean, <laughs> that's yeah that's um that's that's not a bad not a bad few uh records to put out in one year is it but but
1: that that's it isn't it he is he is you know one of the when when we talk about you know rock metal producers you know everyone goes you know we, we always talk about Mutt Lang. we always talk about um Bruce Fairbairn and Bob Rock and you know, and we talk about Ted Templeman um and and, and, and uh, yeah and, and also you know um Max Norman as well um but but Martin Birch doesn't often get a mention and yet he he was so Influential in 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 the way that this um, this genre developed over the period, of sort of the mid seventies through to to the, the late eighties.
3: The pro- I mean the, the production on Heaven Now is is absolutely fantastic. A nineteen eighty album. I mean, it really is superb.
1: A long time ago, Richard and I wrote, uh, and we will get to this story, I'm sure, when we come to do Saxon's Denim and Leather. Um, but Rich and I wrote to Classic Rock magazine back in the day, pulling them up on um, the logic of some of Saxon's lyrics. Um, and there was a moment due- when I was listening to this album where I had that kind of feeling again, which is, I think, in Children of the Sea, where he says, throw away the key and lock the door. Uh, and I'm not sure, entirely
2: sure how that worked.
1: <laughs> the other way round,
2: yep. Ever the pedant. Oh, you had issues with seven four seven, didn't you?
1: We did, we did, but we'll get to that another day. (laughs) Um, It was supposed to be a long-running series. It was a long-running series of one.
3: Uh, Whilst McWall, I think, thoroughly enjoyed that um, initial letter. um, We we came to the conclusion that uh, we we would become a pain in the ass by the second one.
1: Well, we did. We, we kind of combined the seven four seven one with um, with Princess of the Nights, uh, yeah, and I think you, it is, yeah. you took particular issue with uh, the tolerance levels in pistons with that. But anyway, that's for another day. Um, highs, highs and lows of um of heaven and hell. Richard, let's start with you.
3: Yeah, I think I think for me, um, it's it's fascinating actually these how we are. I think it's going to happen again on this one. Uh, so the, the variation in our what we what we loved and what what we didn't like quite so much. Um, I think I think I think Walk Away for me is will be the again not a low point, but the um, not such high point. Um, I, I I think for me it's because the first side on this album they are so different. That it makes the second side sound quite standard, and and I I think I need to give maybe I need to give side two again a bit more time again to see if 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 that changes. Um, But yeah, I I think walk away for me Um, in terms of highlight. um, Yeah, Heaven and Hell's up there, probably uh, really hard, probably pipped by by Neon Knights. Uh, Just Heaven and Hell is. Absolutely brilliant, but to start an album with that track is just phenomenal. So
1: my, my high and low, uh, I I have a dead heat for for low. Actually, for me, it, it's a dead heat at a very high scoring dead heat. I might add between Walk Away and Lady Evil, um, but um, I, I can't I can't pick. Between Neon Knights and Heaven and Hell, so I'm not going to. They are joint top for me on this album.
2: My lows, well, funnily enough, and you'll probably disagree hugely, but I never quite got it. Um, so I didn't. I'm not a big fan of Wishing Well. Lady Evil's kind of okay, but Children of the Sea doesn't do it for me really. Um, and yeah, I can't separate Neon Knights and Heaven and Hell. If I had to toss a coin, probably Heaven and Hell, but they both get nines.
1: Right, so uh, there we go. Uh, That's Heaven and Hell, 1980, Black Sabbath, Phoenix rising from the ashes of the Never Say Die recording and tour. Um, I think that it's going to be hard for anything to beat that tonight, but we're about to find out whether the little wizard has got a spell up his flared sleeve with his debut solo. Well, he says it's not a solo album, um, it probably isn't, but Holy Diver, uh, can he magic something up out
0: of that? Opening album sleeve notes.
1: So, okay, two albums down. Uh, we've done Rising by Rainbow from 1976, and we have done Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell in this edition of the Into Sad Men podcast, which this week is all about the little wizard himself, Ronnie James Dio, and we come... Finally, last but by no means least, or maybe it is, uh, to his 1983 debut album with his self-titled band, Dio. Um, and uh, I think this is the point at which at which Richard needs to um, explain the context of his early uh, encounters with, uh, with uh, Dio um, and, um, and the, the, the journey of enlightenment that then took place.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was interesting Steve comment, Steve's comments earlier about uh, us and our our love affair for the Little Wizard, because um, um, yeah, early in my university days, I couldn't stand him. Uh, we we had um, we had the uh, uh, you know a uh, uh, rock society at uh, the University of Warwick where where, where I studied. And, um, and I would uh, do my turn on the decks when we had uh, a, uh, uh, the monthly uh, Rock Sock Disco. And uh, I was forever plagued by members of the Warwick Science Fiction and Fantasy Society, requesting Holy Diver. And uh, subsequently, uh, without ever really listening to the album, Took an instant dislike to it, <laughs> um, and um, and and such was my dislike. After, despite the fact uh, I listened to Heaven and Hell, despite the fact um, I, I listened to uh, Rising and uh, Long Live Rock and Roll. As a matter of principle, <laughs> I never got into Dio <laughs> because of all of the. Uh, Dungeons and dragons lovers um, and and uh, yeah it, and and it it, um, it actually took uh, me um, another 20 or so years until um, I was uh, living in uh, Haycroft Road in Stevenage a couple of doors away from mark and we struck up our friendship through our shared sad love of this genres, these genres of music we're discussing in these uh, podcasts. Um, and uh, I was one night round uh, Mark's house and he put on some Dio. And, uh, and you know, and of course, uh, particularly a holy diver bled out and then particularly rainbow in the dark. And I remember um, I was up in the middle of Mark's living room Air drumming, air guitaring, air keyboarding, air singing. Um, thinking, oh, I really did do myself twenty out of twenty years of pleasure, didn't I? Um, and uh, and so yeah, uh, that that was <laughs> that, that was that in nineteen ninety five. I finally got into um, to Dio with his own band, um, and yeah, I feel yeah, I do feel very lucky. To uh, to have, uh, our when 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 would that have been that we saw him? Probably around two thousand, I guess something like that. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly uh, who it was actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, and thoroughly glad I did because one other thing to say about him, my goodness, he could carry it off live. Um, that that's that's the voice you hear when when when, when he's singing uh, live. So um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, so that was. Um, that was me—a uh, brief history of uh, me and uh, RJD's own band—and uh, but yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to uh, to Holy Diver this past week.
1: So um, yeah, so this is nineteen eighty-three. He's been fired from Black Sabbath, allegedly for twiddling his knobs in the studio at, uh, in late-night mixing sessions for Live Evil, um, which uh, for the in the interests of. Uh, of fairness, he denied um, vehemently, um, but he formed his own band. He had two record deals on the table before he left Sabbath to record Solo Animal, um, but he wanted to put together a band. He says, he claims that he never saw himself as a solo artist, that this was very much a band project. He had written Holy Diver and, and the absolutely towering, don't talk to strangers. Before they went into the studio, he recruited Jimmy Bain by accident, who had recommended Vivian Campbell for the guitar uh, for the guitar job. Uh, they had auditioned, or they had considered. They had an audition. They had considered um, when they were looking for a, for a lead guitarist. They considered at the same time Viv Campbell and John Sykes, and Dio came to the conclusion that Campbell was the more interesting guitarist. So that's the band, and this was the result. And uh, I, I've always had one big question about this album, which is why the title track doesn't open
3: it. It makes no sense in terms of <laughs> it's the it's the title track. It it the, the, the type of track that it is. And the start, you got all this this weird atmospheric um, you know. Uh, winds and, and groaning and whatever else going on. Why? Why would you stick that on at the start of track two after you've already played a song? Really surprising. Who knows?
1: I, I think that's particularly a, a particularly interesting question when you <laughs> consider that "Stand Up and Shout," which is the first track on the album which we're listening to now, was the last track to be written, and it was it was written. Effectively, as a as a as a filler, Dio wrote it on his own. Jimmy Bain had gone off to do tour with the Scorpions, I think. Um, Viv Campbell had finished his guitar parts; he'd buggered off. And they've um, so Dio stayed in the studio, presumably, you know, mixing the album down, and um, and and came up with this, and and suddenly it's the opening track on the album. I, was, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it.
2: Maybe I haven't studied the minutiae of it in quite the same detail you have, but I absolutely do get it because apparently it's about um, him being pissed off, basically, and it therefore it bears a relation to his unseemly exit from Black Sabbath and he was just getting it off his chest straight away. So sentimentally, at least, you can understand why it's an opening, this is my middle finger to Sabbath straight away, but, and musically as well, I mean, it's, clear it's by some distance the fastest track on the album. Um, and it's a it's a it's a good calling kind of a track I get your point about Holy Diver but it's a great calling card it's a great because of its um, you know, ferocity really
3: yeah I, I, I agree I love it it's a great track but I <laughs> you could still have said that and it'd be track two I'd have stopped I'd have swapped them I wouldn't have I wouldn't have put it later I'd, I'd have I, yeah. I think the whole just the the but the start of Holy Diver when that kicks in I, I think it would be it, yeah I'd just there would have been a better opening, and then you just follow it with this. But anyway, still love it. I love stand up and share.
1: Back in, I can't remember when it was, but in one of the many sad nights, and if, if you've been a regular, you'll know what they are. Um, they were they're, they're nights once a year, all too all too infrequently that the three of us get together and play music to each other around a theme that we randomly choose. Um, but we did do. Um, we did once have a go at playing a game of D. O. Bingo, and I think which is, you've, you've come up with something similar for tonight, haven't
3: you? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, uh, again, we, we we our love of the little wizard is is done with our with a big smile and our tongues firmly in our cheek because um, we could rip apart his lyrics all night long, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll. We'll, we'll talk about some of those because because he really reaches some uh, a, a real peak in some of his some of his lyrics on uh, on, on this album. I, I don't know quite how to do this with you two. So what what, what I've um, what I've actually done here is um, I've put the lyrics of all three of these albums into a word counting machine. So uh, we, we all know sort of uh, Ronnie's fondness for for words of fantasy and all of that. I'm just going to give you a bit of a countdown. And uh, if, uh, if you want to take any comments as, as we go, um, please feel free. But yeah, in terms of the frequency of words, uh, in, in th- across the songs in these three albums, uh, um, Ronnie sings 54 nevers, 27 ladies, 23 eyes, 22 dies, 20 nights, 18 evils, 16 starstrucks, 15 wolves, 14 flies, but only 12 rainbows. He sings 11 stars, 10 fools, 9 winds, 8 falls, 7 magics, chains, gypsies, and blacks. He sings 6 queens, invisibles, towers, risings, heavens, and divers but he only sings four thunders, four strangers, four knights, and four shadows. Even more worrying, only three witches and three tigers. Three midnights, three lords, three dreams, and three children. Sadly, and I think this will come as a huge surprise to you both and our listeners, that he only sings two wizards two starlights, two lightnings, two dangerous dancers and cobwebs, one virgin, one sunlight, one stardust, one masquerade, one illusion, one dragon, and most importantly, for this wizard among wizards, one diamond. Thank you. (laughs) That's seriously impressive.
1: Only two wizards. I'm shocked.
3: Yeah, I'm relying on the fact that the the, the, the lyrics I, I, I input were correct and uh, the um the word counter that I used was working. So um yeah, usual um you know uh, caveat. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he it, and they're both in Stargaze. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah more more is more, more witches than wizards? Is uh, is the uh,
1: Okay, I so. Uh, Let's get this. Let's put this out here. Um, I think this is an album of three very superior songs and seven fillers. Discuss.
3: I don't think so. I I I I really enjoyed listening to this end to end. I mean, I suppose we mean by by fillers. I I think. I mean, obviously, we're just listening to the end of the the title track, which is just. Absolutely epic, as as far as I'm concerned. But then the next couple of tracks, in terms of you know, Gypsy and Court in the middle, I I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed them. Thoroughly enjoyed listening.
1: To them. Oh, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed. Uh, there's nothing to dislike about them. I just think they're not particularly strong. Steve.
2: Yeah. It, do I like it as an album? <sighs> yeah, I probably. As I said earlier, I, I wish perhaps I, I'd given it time in in 83 although you know Richard didn't and came back to it and loved it and um you know I, I, I vaguely remember being slightly underwhelmed by it way back when and um if I'm honest you know nothing's really changed I mean what I didn't know is that I, I'd be in quite such a minority with that view because it is seen as um you know a status symbol album of this isn't it, and it is it? and it's you know the, the one he's enormously proud of, but and, and Dio fans love it, and you know it's the one album above all others as their kind of vinyl shrine to the to the little fella. But um, yeah, no, it's it's a decent album.
0: Well, I,
1: I, I'm with you. I, I, yeah, there it's there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Um, there are some bits of it that are very good. Uh, so listening to gypsy which has got you know it's got a decent hook line um, but i find it repetitive there's n- there's not a lot interesting going on here and yeah it's not you know i i don't think it's a bad album it's never going to it's never going to be a contender for a desert island album for me and i think maybe it's a victim of Rainbow in the Dark and Holy Diver, and for me, Caught in the Middle. You know that that actually you've got three songs that I think are a level above everything else. Maybe it's not that it's ordinary. Maybe it's not that it's filler. Maybe it's just that there are three three tracks on there that are so good that they dwarf everything else on it.
2: Yeah, it's possible. And the, and the, yeah. the bigger picture, I mean, it it doesn't have to, but it doesn't stand in comparison with the two albums that we've done earlier. You know, from previous. Dio incarnations it, it doesn't have to stand comparison with them but it just so happens that it doesn't is, is my thought process when Dio was forming the band he did he, he did make the point I mean if, if you're you know you're as good as your lead guitarist more often than not and got no problem with Vivian Campbell but he made the point that once you've worked with Richie Blackmore and Tony you kind of you know where do you go next which is why I think and and you mentioned John Sykes. I heard J. K. Lee's name was in the mix as well. So, you know, there was some and there would have been one or two big hitters out there. But if was like Dio said, you know what, I don't want to take I I don't want to take that risk. I'm just gonna get someone who I don't you know. And Campbell had barely joined he barely signed the papers, hadn't he? Before he was being whisked off to was it LA? Um yeah. where they recorded the album and so presumably had no part to play in the songwriting. And he's obviously a very good guitarist. Um and you know, it's 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 a good band producing some good solid rock.
1: I just I just think he's reaching quite a lot for notes here. It's all at the top of his register.
3: Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're generally at the, yeah at the top, aren't they? Does yeah. And it certainly does. To Steve's earlier point, some of the anger coming out a bit. There's certainly a lot more attack to his voice, isn't there? It's a very straight ahead rock album, isn't it? Um, versus the creati- creativity and the variety of, of heaven and hell and, and, and rising. Um, it- this is
1: the third album in a, only a seven year period. It's a very, very short period of time that these three albums have been released. Mm. And I'm going to, I'm going to use this phrase by the numbers, but I don't mean that in necessarily in a negative sense. It's, It's a very well-planned album. It's a very well-planned musical journey. Every song, Dio says, every song was pre-rehearsed, pre-recorded. They tested it all. Um, And I I just think, I think you can hear that constraint here a bit. And I think you touched on it, Steve. It lacks all of that invention, invention and creativity that we've heard on the two albums that went before it. It's not a bad album. It's not a bad album but it's it's in and we've said this how many times have you said this over the last you know seven weeks, eight weeks yeah it's it's in quite quite serious company here and I, I don't think it quite quite stands up. but you know now we're on to the, the clearly what is I'm sure you will both agree the highlights of the album.
3: the Ronnie James the uh, public information film yes
1: <laughs> it's exactly that. So can we just go through the public information? Um, don't talk to strangers. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah.
1: Don't stand in doorways. Yeah. Don't go to heaven because it's really only hell.
3: Don't write in moonlight. No. Uh, yeah, because the words might
1: come out real. Uh, and
3: flowers? They don't no. they smell the flowers. There are no no. There
1: the no no. They are an evil drug. Um, I mean, this is, this and,
3: and, is and, the, and the worst of all.
1: Oh Christ! No, don't dream. Of the moon. No. No, you must never do that. Kids, if you're listening, okay? Doorway, Starlight, Strangers, Women, Heaven, they're, they're all out. They're off limits, okay? Like, in the 80s, you weren't supposed to play in fridges. Just don't do it. Um, I think this is abject. I think this <laughs> is just, just a dreadful song.
3: Yeah, this is fascinating. So if, with, with my late arrival and appreciation of Dio... And with some of these songs i i'd stick my tongue so firmly in my cheek i think this song's hilarious and brilliant <laughs> reasons we like songs
2: this with the wrong
3: reason just makes me smile
1: i just i just think it's it's um you know, i get it it's funny it is funny i'm not sure it's i'm not sure it's meant to be funny i think that's the problem with it um, <laughs> and, and it's Oh god! I just I, no. I can't. I can't. It isn't. It isn't funny enough for me to be able to forgive it.
3: Yeah, I, I think you, you, you made an important point earlier about the about musicians, isn't it? And we, there is this theme. You know, we, we talk about per, Deep Purple and uh, Led, Led Zeppelin. We, we talked earlier about Rainbow, maybe not being quite there um, in terms of. Deep Purple, but there are perhaps enough forces at work that lifted that album. Um, we know that there would have been forces at work within Black Sabbath. And yeah, I think if, um, if Dio had put some stronger other musicians around him, he um, it, it, it could have ended up with um, something a lot bigger, better, more complex, I guess. Because it's going to be interesting to see what the, how, where the scoring ends up. Because I like I like the I now I now like these songs for different reasons.
1: No, and and I don't you know, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike this album at all. Um, I I just think um, I, I think you've just touched on it. This is this is an album that wasn't challenged enough. Run by a man who wasn't challenged enough. Mm. You know, I think you you can take this album in two ways, can't you? you? Can say right. You can take, which I think, by and large, Richard, you and I do. We go, it's The Little Wizard. It's fun, makes you smile. I can't get on with Don't Talk to Strangers, personally. But the other nine songs, yeah, they're fine. You know, I I enjoyed listening to it. As a piece of music lining up against the other 21 albums, now 24 albums, twenty-three albums that we've we've talked about. Musically, how does it stand up? I just, I just think it falls. I think on that level, by that definition, it falls short. So it's not it's not that I dislike it, I don't. But but I don't think I don't think it has the stature of the albums that we've uh the context that we've put it in tonight, and the context of quite a lot of what's gone before. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it for me. He, he's he's only got one gear in this for me. Whereas yeah, you know, I know you 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 thought it was one of the weak points of Heaven and Hell, mm-hmm. Steve, but if you listen to the opening of um uh Children mm-hmm. of the Sea, uh on um, you know, you get the full range of Dio. It, it, you know, you might not like the song, yeah, but his yeah. vocal ability is yeah. there for everyone no, to see. Yeah. And I don't think you see enough of that on this or hear enough of that on this album. I think it's just, it's all a bit one dimensional.
3: Uh, Yeah. We've we've been discussing these last many weeks so many different styles. And um, this was obviously designed as a straight ahead rock album. And I think it needs to be judged in. Those terms, rather than against the other two that we listened to, and I think it um, it did have a part to play with you know, some of the other stuff coming out at the time in terms of the you know the the the, the particularly, and you know I'm trying to th- it, I didn't um, manage to have to research it around. It'd be really interesting to know just who was. What other bands were inspired by the music on on this album? Because um, I mean, you say I mean, this, is, this is you know before the the mid eighties, wasn't it? And and, and um, all the bands that that really came to prominence there in, in sort of you know, hard rock. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're both being a bit hard on it
2: and we're not, and we're not allowed to be hard on him, are we because i I referred the honourable gentleman to um, a whatsapp conversation we had earlier in the week and um, <laughs> and anyway, mark was Mark was conscious when we decided on the do evening that i I hadn't actually contributed anything on whatsapp for about twenty four hours, which anyone who knows me knows that's not unusual because I'm just a lazy ass but he he was clearly perturbed that I'd found something not to my liking and You know He was going to do the big up for Dio when he was excited about this Dio episode we were doing. So he said, um, being quiet today, is that good or bad? And I said, um, so I replied and said, no, that's fine. I'm just listening to heaven and hell on a bike ride. The elf had a voice, that's for sure. That was my parting shot. And he said, tongue firmly in cheek, which is the story of this bloody episode, isn't it? He's a little wizard, not an elf. He may be dead. But as he's now the man on the Silver Mountain, he still has feelings.
1: <laughs> and, 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 and I did write that, and I, I felt it keenly. Um, I do... Uh, yeah, just to put this into context, this album is at number 16 in Rolling Stone magazine's top 100 album rock albums. So what do I know? But the whole point of this is that... Yeah, I don't think any of those any of these kind of top hundred things that you, you you can see on online, I don't think they are ranked in quite the same forensic way that these are. I'm not saying we're right by any stretch, because in the end, it's just the opinion of three blokes. But do I think this is the sixteenth best best rock album of all time? Absolutely no way.
3: It's probably worth Talking about just quickly you know, coming back to producers because you know we 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 talked um, um, yeah, quite a lot um, as we listened to um, Heaven and Hell about about Martin Birch and again it, it, I I just get the impression with with the with the with the, the way Dio had been treated um, you know his decision to produce this album himself and uh, uh, whether it, it, it would have been a better album if, if he'd got, um, you, know, you know, what if Martin Birch had been involved in this? Um, that would have been quite interesting, wouldn't it?
1: Well, I think that goes back to what I, what I was saying. I um, can't remember which album it was about. But I said, you know, the, the job of the producer is to, to ring a sound out of the band, to ring a, a, a signature sound uh, and a personality and to essentially to boil that that's those months, weeks, months in the studio, down into something that utterly defines that band at that moment. And I think that goes back to what I was saying a bit earlier, which, a few minutes ago, which is, you know, this is a this is an album that wasn't challenged enough. If you've got Martin Birch, the other side of the glass, he's probably going to be questioning some of the decisions that have been made here. You know, we're listening to... Rainbow in the Dark, which frankly I think stands up against just about anything else he's ever done. But Dio hated this song. He, he was he, he he was he was gonna take a razor blade to it and just get rid of it completely. And and he makes the or made the point that in future iterations of the band, they developed a much heavier sound for this particular song. And yet, for me. This is, this is a highlight.
2: Do you, but- do you think his problem with it might have been that it wasn't actually his baby, the fact that it was Campbell and, and Bane chatting around in a studio come up with a riff and the next thing you know, uh, with Vinia Apicci, and then the next thing you know is that um, uh, Bane walks over to the keyboard, comes up with that little motif at the start of it, and Dio's almost sort of sidelined, just comes into it later on and thinks, you know what? <laughs> That's not my song, really, but I mean, because he, you know, he was, as I say, he was, um, he was the the ultimate ruler of 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 his domain, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. I think you're you are probably, yeah. He, by his own admission, he was a control freak. Yeah, he. um, The 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 reason that he didn't that he produced this himself um, was that, you know, he said ultimately this record is going to, was going to sound how i wanted it to sound so there kind of, there was no point in somebody else coming in because they were never going to do it the way i wanted it to be done and, and i think my point this evening is it would have benefited from somebody doing it slightly differently
2: yeah and again this should have been a top 10 single as well
1: with another vocalist i'm sure
2: so i'm sure so yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah it was on it was on heavy rotation on mtv um because this is how i how i came across the album and it is that signature keyboard is
2: amazing isn't it
1: because it hooks you
2: mm-hmm. it's not complex is it it's jump isn't it it's, it's just just a very simple thing
1: yeah and uh, I think what I'm saying is more of this less of don't talk to strangers you know if you if you put together their first three albums so this last in line um, and uh, Sacred Heart thing with the first three there are tracks on there are enough tracks on all of those albums that if you were to put them onto one album it would be astonishing but i think there's there's too much ordinariness going on around those big kind of signature monster tracks that that kind of define dio in the in the sort of early to mid 80s should we uh should we talk highlights low lights and i've probably been too hard on the little wizard yeah
2: i'm sure we probably have but anyway caught in the middle doesn't do much for me highs I do love stand up and shout um and I don't actually think they get any better than that through the rest of the album rainbow in the dark a close second but um yeah the opener gets it for me
1: Richard
3: most of me um would listen to Shame in the Night now I think it's yeah probably um it, it it's kind of stuck on the end um and for all my in cheek and uh, love of the uh, love of the man, um, I'm not sure if it, was, if it was him that did the wolf howl at the beginning of this song, but it's blooming awful. And uh, yeah, in, in terms of highs, uh, uh, the high "Rainbow in the Dark" um, loved it in your living room all those years ago, Mark. Still love it today.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm with you. So that's yeah, that's the standout track for me as well. Uh, "Rainbow in the Dark," um, the the low light. Could easily have been the track we're listening to now, Shame on the Night, where not for the interesting kind of breaks and kind of motifs through it. Um, But it will come as absolutely no surprise to you guys to know that uh, it's very much Don't Talk to Strangers is the low point of the album for me.
3: Okay, so there we go. We end this trio of, uh, of albums from Ronnie, James, Dio. So we've been listening to Rising by Rainbow, Uh, heaven and hell by black sabbath and uh holy diver by dio um and it's now time for us to really find out what we thought of these albums and move on to the scores
0: reviews complete initializing rating process
3: right then the scores are in and uh, mark you're going to take us through where we got to on rising
1: Yep, so obviously that was the first uh, album of the evening. I mean, I think we discussed, didn't we, at great length the tracks. Uh, and probably the only notable thing there is that I have given my first 10 um, score, um, and probably that will be the first 10 and last 10 for a while um, to Stargazer. Um, but Steve gave the album 7.75 on the nose. I gave the album overall on average 8.11 or 8.12 if you want to round up and be sensible about it. And um, Richard, you scored the album exactly the same as Steve to give the album overall an average score of 7.87222. Steve, let's move on to Heaven and Hell.
2: Okay, so fast forward four years, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, I gave it, I put a couple of nines in there, Rich put a nine in there, Mark trumped us all with uh, three nines, big nines for Neon Knights, Heaven and Hell and Die Young, and so we wound up with me awarding a grand total of 7.375, up to Rich who gave it 7.625, and uh, Mark who's absolutely wet himself with 8.875 for a grand total of 7.95 and a bit. Um, and so, Rich, we finished off with Holy Diver. Yep. And for
3: those uh, a yeah, cu- couple of nines from Mark and I for, for Rainbow in the Dark, uh, Steve's top score was an eight for Stand Up and Shout, uh, which meant overall, Steve gave it six point five 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 five. Mark ended up on a 7.71. Um, which actually was, he was kinder to the Little Wizard on Dio than I was. Uh, my, my overall score for Holy Diver was was 7.61. And uh, all of that averages out uh, for the album at uh,
0: 7.29. It's time to put the rock in a hard place, opening the Hall of Fame.
2: Tonight, in reverse order, Dio... Have managed to step in at number twenty-one. Remember, we're out of twenty-four now, so uh, there's only three that are out of the relegation zone on goal difference alone. With Holy Diver, but, but no such problems for um, Sabbath and Rainbow. Rainbow's Rising is in at ten, pipped by a couple of places by Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, who uh, who are eighth,
0: confirming top ten status. So, what how
1: do we think about? There's quite a lot between Holy Diver and uh, the other two this evening. It probably reflected in the conversation we had, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's um, no great surprise to see where it is. Um, although you actually, you know, I could I could hear the tone in Richard's voice when he was um, slightly surprised that you gave it uh, a greater score than he did, seven point seven compared to Richard's seven point six.
1: But I think I think that just just reinforces what I said that it's not a bad album. You know it's just in the company it was in tonight mm. um, it, it had a lot to live up to didn't it and um, and that's been reflected in the the scores really I mean we've said all along haven't we that um, it's gonna take something special to kind of break into that top five escape did it last week yeah you know, when, when you think that black Sabbath you know with a, an album as strong as as strong as uh, heaven and hell is didn't even yeah. managed to break the. Yeah, the I think it,
3: it's interesting looking at the, the Hall of Fame and, and what's either side of these albums. Because again, it, it's not, it, it's all strong company, isn't it? That, the, I mean, Dio is sitting above pronounced by Leonard Skinner uh, and uh, just below by by a tiny margin demolition by girls' school. And then Rising is. Uh, Sitting above Native suns by Strange Ways, just below UFOs, Strangers in the Night, and then just above UFOs, Strangers in the Night is Heaven and Hell. So, and, and these are all, you know, we're getting into two and three decimal places of difference. Um, so, actually looking down this and just seeing where these are um, and where they deserve to be, um, that that feels okay to me. Yeah, it's been. I think been a really another really enjoyable um, episode and really enjoyable weeks worth of listening. Rest in peace, Ronnie.
0: You're listening to the Enter Sad Men podcast. We're talking loud.
2: So we've uh, so we've sent the late great Ronnie James Dio back to the silver mountain in the heavens, or is it hell from whence he came? Um, and next week, uh, next week we're off to a place where Dio rarely ventured. Um, which is the real world, to work our own magic on the subjects of mainland Europe. Don't worry, we're not going political. Their Brexit is our Broxit, as we turn our attention to some of the best rock and metal, um, which has come from across the channel. So until then, rock fans...